And again, remember that when David came into power, the kingdom of Saul was decreasing, but David's was increasing, right? And David is just on this incredible roll. From the moment he becomes king, he's winning battles. He's got the ark now. God has given him great and wonderful promises. He's winning battles left and right, conquering land, conquering kings. Things are going great. I would, I'd be willing to say this is probably the pinnacle of his experience as king, perhaps. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. You are amazing God. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Many of us know about David's sin with Bathsheba and how it happened when David waited in Jerusalem when he should have led the battle at Ramah. 2 Samuel 10 shows that God gave David a warning by showing it necessary for him to come out against the Syrians. David tried to leave the battle with Joab in 2 Samuel 10, but his army needed him, and God tried to show him blessings when David did go out to battle. 2 Samuel 10 was God's gracious warning that David sadly wasted. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. David says, wait there until your beards have grown. And when the people of Ammon, verse 6, saw that they had made themselves repulsive or to stink to David, the people of Ammon sent and they hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Maacah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now, you might want to write in your Bibles in the margin a reference here, and that is 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7. One of the things that you have to, um, well, actually, I'll get to that. (laughs) It says that this place where all these men gathered, and and these were the Aramean tribes uh, north of Israel in modern-day Syria today. And so way, way north of like on the Sea of Galilee, way north of that, you had these different tribes, these different groups of people, Zoba and Beth Rehob and Maacah and Taob, and they were um, part of the Aramaeans. And, the, and so this battle was about ready to take place, and they all came together. It tells us in First Chronicles 19.7 that this place that they encamped was Medeba or Medeba. And this place is just east of the Dead Sea, the northern tip of the Dead Sea. If you go east, um, about 10 or 15 miles, you'll run into this place. And this is where they had met. And so verse 7, Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. And then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate of the city of Medeba. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth-Rehob, and Ishtab and Maacah, these are, again, these 
uh, uh, people groups from, uh, that are on the eastern side of the Jordan River, uh, all the way up north of, uh, higher than, uh, north of Galilee, excuse me. They came and they were by themselves in the field, it says. And then verse 9, it says, When Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother. Remember, Abishai was Joab's brother. Remember, Asahel was also Joab's brother. And who was he killed by? Yes, Abner. Abner killed him, uh, Saul's uh, commander of his army. And then Joab killed Abner in cold blood in a city of refuge in Hebron. And, uh, and so all, all he's got left is his brother Abishai. So they set them in array against the people of Ammon. So now you got these two brothers dividing the army, going after different segments of this Aramean assault from the north. And so verse 11, then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and I will help you. But be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And I love that about Joab, even though he was a a, a bloody man, meaning that he had blood on his hands. He was a very different man than David was. Uh, Joab was a bloodthirsty guy. We're going to see that as we go along. He's just a vicious individual, um, very unlike his, his, uh, his uncle, David. And so Joab and the rest of the people who were with him, they drew near for the battle against the Syrians. And notice, the Syrians fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai. So they divided and they conquered. When Joab saw the battle was before him and behind him, the the, the army just split in half. Joab went with one, and Abishai went with the other group. And the Syrians fled. And then once the Syrians fled, the others fled. And so when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, um, oh, I'm sorry, I I skipped a verse here, verse 14. It says, When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered into the city. Again, this is probably Medeba, um, according to 1 Chronicles 19.7. And so Joab then returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. In verse 15, it says, When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered again. And, and this is true even in the Middle East today. It, it, de- being defeated in a battle is not something any of them take lightly. And uh, there's, a, there's an everlasting hatred even today among the Philistines or, or those who call themselves Philistines or, or, or um, Palestinians and, and Israel. There's always this everlasting hatred going back several centuries. And so then, verse 16, it says, Hadadezer, he sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, beyond the river Euphrates, and they came to Helam, and Shobak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before him. This place called Helam was the next battle that they were going to encounter, and this place is literally about 40 miles due east of the Sea of Galilee, uh, just straight, straight right across is where this place was. And so it says, when it was told David that they had regathered themselves, that David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, 
Now he's going from west to east, crossing over. And he came to Helam, and the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David, and they fought with him. And notice what it says in verse 18. The Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobach, the commander of their army, who died there. Now, one of the interesting things and one of the most difficult things about the book of Samuel, and even in the Old Testament, when you get into First and Second Samuel, you get into Kings and Chronicles, especially Kings and, and Samuel, you'll find that there is a lot of discrepancy in your Bibles. If you do any studying about numbers in these chapters or in these books specifically, there is um, always a discrepancy usually with numbers, okay? And the part of the reason for that is, and if I, had, um, if I could show you on the screen, I would, but I didn't have it ready for you tonight. But certain Hebrew letters, all it takes is one little, one little marking of a Hebrew, over a Hebrew letter or a number, and it, makes it, it turns it into something different. And so as the scribes, as they were copying over the, over the centuries, as they were copying the scrolls and copying the original manuscripts, there came some corruption in that, in the, in, the, in the displaying of numbers. Now, numbers don't really change any of our doctrine, okay? So don't get upset and when you find in the Bible that it says this number in, in 2 Samuel, and then you look over in 1 Chronicles and it gives you a different number. A lot of times this is just corruption in the copies. But usually, in Chronicles especially, uh, because it is a more um, stable document, the documents were much more stable than the, the ones of Samuel, um, those are probably more uh, authoritative, and so we can kind of go by that instead of what we see here. And let me give you what I mean here, and you might want to write off on verse 18 here, right off to the side, First Chronicles 19, verse 18, and here's why. And again, this is just a, we're just kind of going by this, but I think it's worth mentioning because you're going to find it, and you might find yourself getting discouraged and think, oh, the Scripture is not inspired, it's not correct, and all that stuff. Well, it really is. The, the problem is not with the originals, which don't reside with us anymore. We have copies, especially of the Old Testament. We have copies. And so when those copies were made, and if you understand anything about the way the Jews transcribe documents, it is ridiculously thorough. So thorough that if they make one mistake, they throw the whole thing out. All right, So that's how serious they take them. But in 1 Chronicles 9, verse 19, verse 18, it says, speaking of this very same passage, it's a parallel account. It says, The Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 charioteers. But here in our verse, it says 700 charioteers. Can you understand how just one little, one little tittle, they call them, a jot or a tittle, or a little marking over that number can change it dramatically. And you're going to see that at different times in the Scripture. So don't let it throw you, because doctrine is not uh, built upon numbers. It's built upon content, <laughs> right? And so don't be discouraged by that. And this, uh, the Chronicles document is much more reliable than the first and second Samuel, who, whose numbers especially have seen some um, corruption. So back in our text now, verse 19, it says, When all these kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. And so the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. They got soundly beaten by David. 
soundly beaten. And again, remember that when David came into power, the kingdom of Saul was decreasing, but David's was increasing, right? And David is just on this incredible roll. From the moment he becomes king, he's winning battles. He's got the ark now. God has given him great and wonderful promises. He's winning battles left and right, conquering land, conquering kings. Things are going great. I would, I'd be willing to say this is probably the pinnacle of his experience as king, perhaps. He's got everything he wants. Everything is going really well. Victories are being gotten. God is blessing. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> that it's at a time like that, that's when the devil comes in. Very seldom when we're in down and out and we're, we're really hurting. He, he likes to attack us at that time, too, uh, during times of discouragement. And he likes to continue beating on us and condemning us. But especially when we're at a, a spiritual high, when we have experienced some spiritual victory, or even a victory in anything in your life, anything that brings happiness to you. It could even be a, a really great raise in your job, a promotion, you know, your kids, your wife, everything is going well. And, and when things are going well, folks, and you know this from experience, those are the times you really got to be praying and being on your guard. Be on your guard when things are going well. You know, if you're like me, and this is true of myself, I'll admit it. When things are going well, I get lazy. I get lax. I like to sit back on the hammock with my iced tea. That's what I like to do when things are going well. And actually, I do do that. <laughs> Those are the times that we've got to be really careful. And this is what happened to David. And so as we get into chapter 11 tonight, this is probably one of the few times in David's life that I think were his worst. We saw when he made his this affinity, this friendship with the Philistines. Remember the insanity that he went through when he was actually working for the, the king of the Philistines. Remember that before he became king and Saul was still on the throne? Right before that final battle, David was at his utmost in his lunacy, even threatening to go with the Philistine army to go down and attack. He would have been part of the same army that was fighting against Saul and Jonathan, his best friend, had God not intervened and had not the lords of the Philistines says, look, he's a Hebrew. When we get into battle, he's going to turn. We know that. He can't go with us. And so the king sent him down to Ziklag, remember? About 80 miles south of that. But this is one of David's moments. It was not his best. Just like that time in his life when he was deceiving and playing the madman and acting like he was on the Philistine side. Now we've got another issue, another moment in his life that he would just love to erase with a pencil. Perhaps the worst moment in his life. Was, was, it, was it when he was down and out? Or was it when he was on top of the world? He was on top of the world. When you, everything is going well, be so careful. Be so careful. In fact, if I could title this chapter, I would, I would title it one of two titles. I would title it, Your Sin Will Always Find You Out, or Two Wrongs Don't Make a Right. And I'll explain what that means when we get into it. Two wrongs don't make a right. And so let's read it. Verse 1, this chapter that makes all men cringe 
And let me suggest to you that, ladies, I, I'm going to share some things tonight that I think you ought to consider as well. Usually when we read a chapter like this, 2 Samuel 11, it's about adultery, which of course it is, and about David's lust and David's uh, problem. But I want to encourage you too that Bathsheba, although the scripture doesn't is silent, um, there's some things that I think she was she should have considered very carefully before she did what she did. But David, no doubt, carries the vast brunt of this disaster. But I don't think she was completely as discreet as she could have been. And we'll look at that as we go. But notice in verse 1 it says, It happened, and we'll get through as much of this as we can, and next week we'll go through the rest of the balance of this chapter and get into chapter 12 as well. It says, It happened in the spring of the year at that time, notice, when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. At the time when kings go out to battle, what is the meaning of this phrase? When kings go out to battle, it's very different today. Because we've got, we, we can bomb anybody in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter if there's a rainstorm or whatever. Our technology is such where we can do that. But back at this time, when kings would go to battle against each other, they wanted to do it at a time of year that was conducive for battle, where both sides could maneuver and do what they needed to do without being hindered by uh, rainfall and 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 and, and Elements, the elements, the weather and the seasons that would actually work against them. How can you drive a chariot in a valley when during the rainy season? You just wouldn't do that. And so they would actually wait until the time was seasonal for them to go out to battle. The, then, then everybody would be on equal footing, so to speak. And so notice that they destroyed the people of Ammon. Wasn't that what we were just talking about in chapter 10? The people of Ammon. And David destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, which was the capital city of the Ammonites. Today it's called Ammon or Ammon, Jordan. That's exactly where this place is. Today it is called Ammon, Jordan. But that was the ancient city of Rabbah at this time. And remember, the people of Ammon were enemies of Israel. And again, this was just to the east of the Jordan River, about 10 or 15 miles. Um, and it is modern-day Amman, Jordan. So Joab and his armies, they besieged Rabbah for about two years, we believe, before they finally destroyed it. We'll see that at the end of chapter 12. But whenever armies would go against a city, sometimes they would just go and overwhelm it and destroy it with their military might. Other times, as we see what Nebuchadnezzar did with, the, with Jerusalem, what did he do? He didn't just go after it and just because it was a pretty fortified city. So what they would do is they would just surround the city with uh, the whole army and just wait. Because the people got no water, of course Israel did, because they had the Gahon Spring, but they had no food, and so they'd cut off the spring from its outside source if they could, and then they waited, and they just waited until people died. They died of starvation. And that's what besieging a city did. There's no casualties, or at least, you know, the army on the outside, they're eating, having campfires at night, eating animals, and, 
and living just fine. The people on the inside of Jerusalem, they're dying. They're getting weak. And they just wait until nature takes over and then they, they basically go in and clean up. So this siege lasted for over two years as Joab and them would go against the city of Rabbah, the Ammonites. So it wasn't just something they did. These men were gone for months at a time, besieging that city, just waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. And this place called Rabbah, it actually had two parts to the city. There was an upper city, which was called the Acropolis, known as the Royal City. And then there was a lower city, which is um, right between two wadis, which is basically uh, an area in the mountains where the water would flow from the mountains, and it just created kind of like a ravine. And in the dry seasons, it would just look like a river or a dried-up riverbed, but in the rainy season, that's where the water would come down. And this city sat right in the middle of it. There was a top part called the Acropolis or the Royal City, and then the City of Waters down at the lower part of the city. They were connected by a, uh, a conduit passage, uh, between the two of them. But as we read that first verse, the, a question you have to ask yourself is, is why is David, why was he staying behind and why was he not out with his troops? Was he getting older? Was he more of a liability as, as he began to get older? Was he not the young guy that he used to be? We don't really know, but he stayed behind. And who knows, maybe the, the army of Israel had become so pronounced at this time and so great that they're thinking to themselves, you know, we don't need David. Let's protect him and just keep him. We can take care of this. And so who knows what it is. But nonetheless, David stays back. And notice verse 2, Then it happened one evening that a David rose from his bed, and he walked on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof... A woman bathing. He saw a woman. Underline the word saw, because we're going to get to that. He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And again, we have to be very careful. It's usually when we have this idle time. David had this idle time. Had this time on his hands, and that's usually the devil's playground. Idle, or idle time is the devil's playground, the, the phrase says. And so here David is, and the devil had a lot of time to study and take notes on David. He knew exactly where David's Achilles heel was and is. And the devil knows you. I don't like to think about what the devil knows, to be honest with you. I really don't care what he knows about me. Because I, I care more that God is in control and... I am um, impervious to anything that the devil wants to do unless God allows it for some reason. But know this, that the devil has studied each of you. You don't need to be afraid of him, especially if you're in Christ. You don't have to fear him. But he knows you. He's had a long time to study you. And believe me, he's got volumes written, I'm sure, about each of us. The things that are our Achilles' heel, the things that he knows, he's watched, he observed, he's planted the trap before and it worked every single time. Every single time. And then we've never repented. He comes back again and again with the same old bag of tricks and he does the same thing over and over again and we fall for the same thing. He doesn't need to bring out the big guns because he knows that the little guns will work just fine. He doesn't need to bring out the big things. 
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.